Hello, everyone. Welcome to the penultimate episode of the Badass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me, as always, is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? Man, remember a few weeks ago, I was talking about my roommate and his D&D addiction? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he's not my roommate. He's renting out the apartment from me. And I remember talking about him, thinking, no one is ever going to listen to this who knows him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> fast forward to Friday. I'm hanging out with my buddy, Ross, who works in the same office as my roommate. Uh, they work at uh, a comic uh, website where they post auction stuff for, like, signed cgc collectible uh-huh. stuff like that right uh-huh. and uh you know there's like eight guys in the office and um i didn't know this but one of the people in the office listens to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> so i'm going out to dinner with ross on friday and he's like hey i was talking to so-and-so at the office uh you do a podcast that you talk about your, your roommate and i was like why and he goes, oh, man, the guy from shipping uh was asking what i was doing tonight and i was i told him that i was hanging out with you and he goes, Sean Murphy lives in Portland. And uh, Ross goes, yeah, uh, you know, that guy over there lives in Sean's apartment. And the guy's like, Sean was shit-talking him last week, saying he had a D&D mm. addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I'm at uh, dinner now, like, all right, how do I handle this? I, has my roommate heard this? What did I say? I'm pretty sure I was just joking around and like, Everything I said, I basically already said to to my friend's face. So I don't think this is a big deal, but I don't know. Maybe I went off on a handle and I forgot. So um, I was hanging out with my roommate uh, the other night and we were smoking cigars. And I had just given him a free cigar and a free drink. And I was like, all right, man, I got to confess. Like, I owe you an apology. Uh, So-and-so at the office listens to my podcast. And I guess I was talking to everybody about (laughs) how you were addicted to D&D. And uh, how, you know, your place is kind of a mess down there. And uh, he was like, oh, man, do you think I listen to D&D too much? Do you think I'm capable of talking about anything other than gaming? And I'm like, well, you know, I was sort of joking, but um, I don't know. I mean, you know, we, maybe we could all use more hobbies. And since then, every time he started a conversation, he'll catch himself because every conversation is about to be D&D. Uh-huh. So he's like, oh, my God, you're right. Maybe I do need an intervention. So long story long, the point is, it's a good thing that I opened my big fat mouth and talked about this because it's helping my roommate learn that he has a D&D addiction and he's thankful for it. Yeah, nothing like making sure the people around you are more self-conscious. Way to go. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, this is, I said, the penultimate episode, uh, only because we only have two episodes of our show left before we are mm. finished with Batman the Animated Series proper. What comes after that is anybody's guess, but um, I'm sure we'll be jumping into the future to some extent. And uh, the two episodes that we're doing today are Mad Love and Chemistry, so uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about mad love. A lot of a lot of relationship talk here. So maybe that was a, a good thing to start with is is you talking things out with your roommate after talking behind his back. That's why I dove into that story. Yeah. I knew that it was going to be topical. All right, well there you go. Excellent. Great stuff. <laughs> Great stuff. All right, we'll be right back. All right, Mad Love, story by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, teleplay by Paul Dini, directed by Butch Luchik, 
In this one, Harley reflects on her first meeting with the Joker as she plots to eliminate her main competition for his attention, Batman. Note, adaption of the adaptation, excuse me, of the Eisner Award-winning 1994 comic book of the same name by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm. You know, I don't think I realized <clears throat> for a while that the comic came first. I always mm. just assumed that this was an episode of the show that they later turned into a comic. Yeah, when I first found the comic, I had already seen the show, so I assumed that, uh, yeah, the comic came after, and I'm like, why did they revert back to the original TAS designs? Why didn't they just go with the season four, like, sleek design, Mm -hmm. which I preferred at the time, but uh, I was just too lazy to look at the publication date. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm a little bit, I I was going to say I'm surprised that they didn't do that more, like, pull more from the comic, because it seemed like there was, the comic was coming out fairly frequently at the time, but uh, I'm sure it was just, like, a matter of... The more you do that, the more you have to bring in writers yeah. and credit and money and all that kind of stuff. So it's probably just did, easier did, to make new episodes. Did you read the Batman animated series comics that were coming out? No, I didn't. Um, mainly because it just wasn't quite the same for me. Like yeah. it's, you know, bat- comic book Batman is comic book Batman and cartoon Batman. It's kind of like a video game yeah. movie where it's like, well, you know, I, 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 if, I wanted, <laughs> if I wanted that, I would play the video game, not watch a movie about it. Oh man, just for listeners right now, Clay has like an hour long lecture on why video game movie video game movies can never be as good as video games and thus they're generally doomed to fail. Oh, I think I've I think I've gone through that multiple times on <laughs> many podcasts. It's yeah, out there if, if you, you want to. If you collect it all together, it's about an hour. Yeah, probably. And it's an hour <laughs> of accurate accurate statements. <laughs> uh so yeah, yeah. Mad Love. Uh wh- what are your thoughts on this one? Um, I really loved this one. I think this is definitely Heart of Ice level um, production. Um, there's a lot in this that I pull and use in White Knight, of course. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when, the moment where uh, Joker takes the fish and shoves Harley out the window after he realizes that it was her joke and not his or whatever, it's like that is such a brutal moment where she falls out of the window in slow motion. Oh, yeah. I think they like cut the sound and she just slams into the, the, the ground below. I think there's a little bit of blood on her lip, which is not something they, no- they normally do. But uh, that is one of the most brutal moments in the entire series for me. This, this whole episode is incredibly dark. I mean, actually, both yeah. of the ones we're watching is dark, but this one is ex- ex- uh, extra dark because uh, there's yeah. a lot of legitimate domestic abuse happening in this and you know to the point where they're cutting away when joker's slapping harley around and it's it's pretty intense yeah it is exactly beat for beat or almost exactly what the book was it's amazing to see it translated so um loyally and still work and stick the landing yeah apparently the only thing that's different is they trimmed it a little bit just for pacing reasons i guess there's a couple incidental scenes that didn't transfer but aside from that it's pretty much the the same thing yeah Yeah. i i really like this one i think i i I feel like they maybe don't give the origin stuff enough space to really breathe for me like I don't know if I want a little bit more of that story, but um, mm-hmm. everything else about it is is really great. I think that the the idea that Harley, when she puts her mind to something, is actually very smart and can actually get mm-hmm. Batman is very good. Yeah. Um, and even then, she's doing it not for herself, but she's doing it in service of the Joker. And obviously, the Joker mm-hmm. hates it because he didn't come up with it. 
And I love how Batman uses the psychology against the against her and the Joker to to escape from it. It's 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 all really yeah. really great character writing. Yeah, the the line best line for me is uh, she got closer than you ever did. Yeah, pudding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny um, because I wrote a lot of my White Knight around this version of Harley and around the idea of her being um, you know a super smart doctor who took a special interest in Joker and was the uh, the psychiatrist that he sort of led into his world whether it was a hoax or not, mm-hmm. or whether he was lying or not. Um, even the White Knight, uh, Harley Quinn White Knight that my wife wrote and Matteo drew generally fits in with this flashback. Uh, I think we have Harley finding her Harley Harlequin suit through a window of a store. Um, and this, uh, she just kind of happens across it. In hours, she just comes out of a me, uh, an encounter with Joker where he's fighting to be Joker and Jack at the same time. As she leaves, she sees like a costume shop. So I, we went over this pretty heavily in uh, with my I went with my wife just to make sure that our timeline with Harley and the costume fit with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it generally does. Yeah, I, um, yeah. The, uh, I I have always liked the idea that Harley was his uh, psychiatrist who he kind of um, uh, emotionally manipulates into falling in love with him. So yeah. it's I I really I really like the way that they handle it here. Um, mm-hmm. It's it is a little bit. I think the thing that that bugs me about not having enough time is her changeover is so quick. Like all of a sudden yeah. she goes from Harley and Quinzel into talking like a normal person into Harley Quinn talking <laughs> like a, a you know a, a chick from Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the only thing that that throws me a little bit. As soon as she puts the costume on, she like loses her mind. But aside from that, yeah. I think it all it all works pretty well. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, I didn't know that this won an uh, an Eisner that the comic won an Eisner, and then this did this win like a daytime Emmy or some other. Uh, uh, it doesn't say that it did, at least on the Wikipedia page. But it wouldn't surprise okay. me. Well, it would be there. Um, yeah, I, I like uh, I like the. This this episode really kind of shows a pretty complete understanding of of the characters and also of the kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for some some of the questions that always get brought up with these characters that is sort of outside of the idea uh, outside of the um, uh, suspension of disbelief. Like uh, one of my favorite moments is when Harley is like, "Why don't you just shoot him?" Mm-hmm. And then Joker goes into this big explanation as to why he can't just shoot him, because the mm-hmm. that's something I I, th- I feel like people say, have said all the time. It's like, well, why don't they just sh- why don't you just shoot him? It's like, well, you can't. I can't shoot him. That's yeah. I mean, well, yeah, you could. That would be the easiest way to do this. But obviously, the point is yeah. not that you kill Batman. The point mm-hmm. is that you are you have done it in this grand fashion that only yeah. matters to you. Yeah, it's kind of an extension of his. Um, the episode uh, "The Man Who Killed Batman," where that nerdy oh, sure. uh, accountant guy accidentally, supposedly, killed Batman, and Joker is happy, but then he's kind of annoyed because it didn't have much of a punchline to it. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. But that's that's good stuff. I, I like it when they do that, and they don't do it in like a too ham-handed kind of way. Yeah, they just kind of give it in there, and and Joker's answer is is uh, is a good answer for his character. It's not just like a snide you know, yeah. joke answer or anything. Right. What did you think of the joke of um, suspending Batman upside down so that the 
angry faces of the piranhas would look like a smile. That's a great solution on her part. <laughs> I always thought it was a little weak. Like I was like, okay, oh, I mean, it's not his. But- it's not his best work overall. <laughs> but as far as solving that problem to figure out how to make it work, it's pretty good. I mean, if you if, if Batman was caught hanging upside down and his face was underwater and he's looking around seeing these piranhas coming at him, he's not going to think, hey, they're smiling before he starts getting his face eaten. Sure, but it doesn't matter to Batman. It only matters to the Joker, right? <laughs> yeah, but why did the piranhas have to smile at all? Because he's the Joker. That's what he does. Okay. okay. That's, couldn't that's... he make a toxin that makes the... Uh... Nah, no, he said he said the toxin didn't work. He said he tried the toxin, but the toxin didn't work. Oh, it didn't work on the piranhas? Yeah. The smile? Yeah. All right. All right, that works. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's an... I don't know what I would do, but I just thought that was always the weakest part of this episode for me was the, uh, the gag that Harley comes up with. It's not that brilliant, but to Joker, it just has to be brilliant to Joker. It just has to... Be it has to be effective to a certain point where he's satisfied that there is a joke being told, right? As Batman dies, you right? Know? Yeah, and it's not. I mean, it's it's also it's not about Harley coming up with a brand new gag. She's she thinks she's helping Joker by fixing the one that he couldn't get to work. And, That's true. And the solution she comes up with is is kind of brilliant given what they have to work with. But I mean, there's yeah. a reason it didn't get past the point of he didn't put it into production the first time. <laughs> You know, you're right. I'm convinced. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll back off. <laughs> it was Joker's uh, blueprint. He did nix it for a reason. She found a way to revive it. And it was like a simple tweak that he kind of, it was a hand slap Picard moment where he's like, oh yeah, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Yeah, it all works. Yeah. And it's, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. <laughs> the, and the other thing that I like about this too is that after all is said and done, after he chastises her and knocks her out a window, um, He's about to leave because it's it's having letting Harley kill him and not Joker kill him is uh, doesn't work for him. But then he takes advantage of the situation and ends up pulling a gun on him anyway. So all of his all of his supposed uh, (laughs) rules and ethics that he has behind what he does just go right out the window when he has the chance to get the jump on Batman. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think Joker knows that he's sort of full of shit up till some up to a certain point, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's always just puff, then, then puffing again. his own chest for puffing his own chest, you know. <laughs> he's like, yeah, this is kind of a rare opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Cuz I mean, well, I mean, his his reaction to Harley is is more that Harley dared question him mm-hmm. more than it is that he's has some uh grand reason why he can't just shoot him, you know. Yeah. You know, I wonder when it comes to the hyenas who I love were the hyenas Joker's pets first or Harley's pets? Um, I forget where they show up for the first time. I feel like they show up with Joker. Yeah, I feel like they're... Well, Harley's part of the gang. And yeah. at some point, the hyenas are just there. So they belong to both of them. But I think over time, the hyenas became more of Harley's babies. And she sort of claimed them more. Especially the episode where Joker's kind of blow up the city and... The dogs are going to go with it, and Harley has a freak uh, panic attack. Yeah, I was. I just looked it up really quick, and it says they appeared numerous times. They appeared to prefer Harley Quinn over the Joker, and when Harley wasn't present, the Joker refused to feed them. So it sounds like they were just they might have been Joker's Joker's pets, but they sided with Harley. Right. 
in uh, my wife's book, um, they are on a date back before Jack became Joker. They're on a date at the zoo and they see the uh, hyena exhibit and there are these cute little puppy hyenas and um, Joker eventually gives, sorry, Jack eventually gets to for Harley and those become Bud and Lou. And then, uh, spoilers, uh, my wife kills one of the dogs in, in uh, <laughs> book five, I think. <laughs> I know. What's a, but, good, what's a good pet if you can't kill it for a? I know. For I mean, purposes. my wife loves animals. Uh, like, every time there's an injured bird or squirrel in the yard, I never tell her because I know she's just going to obsess about it all day. Mm-hmm. Um, one time, we're walking down the street, and there was an injured pigeon, which is a fucking sky rat, as far as I'm concerned. And she just could not enjoy the rest of her day because she was... Not sure if she should call the animal health control or whatever it is. I'm like, I love animals too, but um, she takes it to a whole new level. So when she came to me and said, I think we need to kill one of the hyenas, I was like, who did I marry? <laughs> yeah, when, I, uh, when we first started the uh, apprenticeship, we, we all went out for dinner. And I, you know, I had only met your wife briefly at that point. And I, you know, we were all trying, talking, telling stories, trying to get to know each other. And I, and I told this story. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, not knowing who I was telling it to <clears throat> about <laughs> the time that my friend had, he was, uh, uh, for a couple extra bucks, he was mowing his uh, landlord's lawn at one of his other properties that had this grass that was like waist high. And so mm-hmm. he's on this driving mower, driving around, driving around. Oh, n- oh, and no. he ahead. sees this tiny little bunny and he's like, oh, geez, I don't want to run over this bunny. So he cu- he keeps scooting closer to it, closer to it, and he keeps hopping away, hopping away. And he gets it to the point where the bunny clears the grass and jumps off into the road. Or not the road, uh-huh. but into the woods. And so he's feeling great about himself, like he just did his good deed for the day. And then he wheels the mower around, and behind him <laughs> sees all over the waist-high grass just blood and fur. <laughs> splattered everywhere and he realized at that moment that he had killed this bunny's family (laughs) and and your wife's face when i told that story was horrified would be an understatement i think um so yeah that was how that was how we got to know each other yeah there you go you know it's funny at first you 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 were saying that uh, he saved the bunny by getting it out of the grass into the road. Of yeah, course, no, to the, no, the it truck was, that goes by. It was not the road. No, <laughs> it's even better. Yes, he made like turned and made bunny spaghetti accidentally. <laughs> Oof, brutal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I really like that they show, like you get to see Harley beforehand in this because I do think they do present her in a in a way that is pretty um, engaging as a character where she's not just like, you know, some straight laced mm-hmm. uh, buttoned up goody two shoes who the Joker kind of uh, mm-hmm. corrupts. She's clearly got like uh, ambition and she yeah. goes after the, after the Joker and she's really, she's overconfident, but she's also underprepared. So yeah. not, not to say that anything that happens to her is her fault or anything, but like there's, there's she has motivations going in which end up uh ending ending poorly for her in in when she mm-hmm. gets in over her head yeah yeah absolutely um i think this is the best version of harley quinn i've ever seen this one episode i think if i i met someone who didn't know who harley was and i want i had 30 minutes to convince them or to get them to like the character as much as i did Express you know and talk about all aspects of the character, the good and bad. 
I think I would just have them watch this. I think more so than any other episode, any other cartoon, any other movie, any other comic, I think this episode is like the best version of Harley in a lot of ways. You know? Yeah, it's what's so fascinating about it though is like I feel like the distinction between Harleen Quinzel and Harley Quinn gets lost a lot mm-hmm. um because it is so drastic and the changeover at least traditionally well i mean in this as well comes from basically being in a horrible abusive relationship with a psychopath and uh i don't think i i feel like that section of the story tends to get overlooked a lot because you've got like Mm -hmm. the modern uh pop culture version of harley quinn which is very much like post joker and Mm -hmm. um a lot more kind of it's it's she's she's still crazy harley but she's kind of reclaiming herself a bit and you Mm -hmm. don't really get a lot of pre joker harley now i think because the joker area is so messy because you do kind of have to confront the fact that this is not a great relationship these two are in and it really probably shouldn't be celebrated to a certain extent yeah 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 no the, the trick for me to make harley redeemable was um I think that it's kind of, she admits that she has a past, and she admits it was a mistake, and she's moving forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think having her say, um, I was really fucked up for a long time, but I liked being fucked up, because if I wasn't fucked up, then I would, wouldn't know who I was at all. Sure. Like, I, I embraced being screwed up. And I know a lot of girls who feel that way, who um, go through some rough times in their youth or whatever, and they feel like they're screwed up and they don't belong, but they think that, that there's this, like kind of macabre beauty to being tragic like that. Sure. They accept that it's an abusive relationship. They accept that it's unbalanced and it's unfair. Um, but they are fine with it because it's better than being alone. And um, eventually, you know, that story works better if the, the character moves past it, sees the flaws, but still struggles to escape um, how you know, the, the mistakes that she used to make. For me, that's that's the trick for writing my Harley, was you definitely have all that stuff there. You lean into how much of a mistake it was. But every now and then, you have her tempted to go back to it. You know, mm-hmm. like it's something that you can never... Once, once you're damaged that degree, you really can never... You're always going to smell like smoke a little bit. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, and I, I don't know why a lot of other writers don't write Harley that way. It's like, if you have her with this problematic past, then she must have a problematic future. And therefore, you know, readers are going to be unhappy. Female readers who are feminists are going to get upset or what. Like, But there's a way to embrace her mistakes and have her move past it. Like, I don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, when I read a lot of uh, uh, takes on Harley, I just look at the writer. I'm like, didn't you know any girls who were like sort of tragic when they were young and they grew past it? Like, why can't you just write Harley like that? You know, I don't know. I didn't yeah. seem to think it was such a big deal, but um, I don't know. Maybe people are doing it and I'm not aware of it. I don't know. Yeah, it's um, her her character. It's it, it it is really interesting. I I do appreciate some of the attempts that they're trying to do to to distance her from the Joker, just because like I think being tied to that for the entire entirety of her existence is gonna is is a little reductive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it it. It doesn't seem like it's touched on as much as it probably should be. Yeah. Um, but yeah. The, oh, go ahead. 
No, go ahead. No, I was just to say the other the other thing I really like about this is it does give you a little bit of Harley <clears throat> understand like being able to turn it off, turn off the Harley bit and kind of use her how, how smart she actually is to get the jump yeah. on on Batman, which is a really nice <clears throat> um, element to throw in there because I feel like that in and of itself is is a lot more character building than they've done with her up to this point. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny. This is such a powerful episode that I think whenever I see any Harley episode, even before this, I have the residue of this episode on me where I'm like, in the back of my mind, I know that she's really smart because I've seen the end yeah. of the series. So even when she's acting like a psychotic goofball, I know that there's more depth there. Even though she hadn't earned that depth for the first two or three seasons, um, as a whole, you know, I think the series does really well by her, and it, it rounds her out really well with this episode. Um, but I agree, like, her switching back and forth between good Harley versus bad Harley is quick. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's 22 minutes long. I guess it's just right, the best right. you can do, you yeah. know? But yeah, if you if you wanted a two-parter of this, I'd be curious to see what it would look like. But I feel like there is something nice about this being a very clean single episode that sort of hits all the beats and moves on, you know. Yeah, I don't think it. Would, I don't think you need to do two episodes of this. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I I feel like a, I feel like a lot of other writers who who use Harley kind of forget that she's really smart, and they just yeah. all, they always like the character has kind of just turned into and may, yeah. again maybe I'm not reading enough of enough of her stuff. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> it seems like it has turned into goofball yeah. Harley is kind of all there is, and like they kind of make. Yeah. Even when she does kind of go back and like pretend to be a psychologist or something, it's still goofy Harley yeah. under there. And I think the I think the thing to yeah. take away from this episode is that she can kind of shut it off when she wants to, mm-hmm. or at least she can tap into it. Let's put it that way. Maybe she can't shut yeah, it off yeah. because she's that fucked up, but she yeah. can at least it is still in there. Like Harley and Quinzel is still in there, and she can apply herself. Um. Which I think actually makes her even scarier, <clears throat> because if yeah. she can't fully turn it off, but she can tap into the the smarts and ability that allows her to actually get the drop on Batman better than the mm-hmm. Joker ever did, that makes her a pretty serious uh, adversary. Yeah, you know, because she's dating crazy, she can be slightly less crazy and escape attention from Batman in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like she's pretty messed up on her own, but compared to Joker, she's she's almost a good guy. So it kind of allowed her to exist uh, under the radar a bit because she was next, standing right next to a giant disaster of a right, human being. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Uh, did, did you play the Arkham Asylum games? Yes. Yeah. I have not, but I'm curious. Like, how was Harley Quinn portrayed in those? Because that is generally most people's interactions with Harley is based on that game in the movies mm-hmm. it's not comics and it's not this series yeah from what i remember well i did i when i was looking it up i did find out that i i guess a lot of uh there are tapes in the game of the interviews between harley and joker when she was his doctor and uh-huh. the audio is the dialogue from this episode mostly oh uh, re-recorded because tara strong does the voice in the games yeah, um, cool. but they're using that stuff. But from what I remember, Harley is is not really, you know, in the first first game. From what I remember, she's dressed like a slutty nurse for the whole game, 
Yeah. Uh, and I don't remember there being a ton to her other than just sort of like mm-hmm. um, just also being there and being a mm-hmm. part of the game. But in the second game, I think she's got a bit more to do and I think she might be pregnant. I can't remember. When did she uh, become the uh, violent cheerleader? Um, was it was it the comics when Jimmy and Amanda took over? Or was it uh, the movies or what? Well, I, uh, I mean... I guess it depends on what you mean by violent cheerleader. Like when they changed her, changed her look. You mean? Yeah, the pigtails and all that. I don't know. I because I don't remember. I feel like her look when she showed up in the comics was different than the show. Like I don't know if the Harlequin costume really made it into the comics outside of the right. adaptations of the of the show. So I'm gonna guess it's Harley New Fifty Two. I'm just looking at it. Yeah, so I think when the New 52 started, which is the big event that DC did 10 years ago, um, that's when they went with the blue and red pigtail and when she became more violent. But I'm wondering, like, who ordered that? Was that Scott who came up with that idea? Or, like, what what meeting did they have where they're like, we really need to invent, reinvent Harley? You know, the unitard thing is kind of passive. and I mean, we can do better than that now. Let's make her slightly sexier, more violent. I remember talking to Scott about this because I was not so much a fan of the cheerleader Harley. Um, and I know a lot of people are, and that's cool, by the way. But I remember talking to Scott when we were driving somewhere, and uh, I was like, explain to me the new cheerleader Harley. And he goes, well, you know, in the New 52 uh, or whatever comic he was writing back then, Joker is literally running around with another human being's face stapled or sewed to his own <laughs> face and uh that's pretty fucking violent and if harley was still this kind of um cutesy betty boop character it just doesn't fit like a girl that's gonna hang out with a guy like that should be more uh, intense as well and i'm like eh, you know what that makes sense yeah i get it <laughs> that, make, that tracks but i couldn't tell you when or where that started i believe it was around the new 52 is when that look popped up and then that's the look that made it into Jimmy Palmiotti's Harley, and then that made it into the games and the movies and blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> according to Screen Rant, uh, <laughs> okay. the traditional suit made up the predominant look for Harley, a Screen Rant who just did a nice piece on my book, Bloody Hell, by the way. Thank you very much. Oh, nice. Yeah, congratulations on that, by the Thanks. way. Thanks. Again. Uh, comes out in November. Look for it. It's called Bloody Hell. The suit made up more uh, made up the predominant look for Harley up as a character up until around 2011. It's used in Batman Harley Quinn 1999 and other comics inspired by the animated series. She also wore it in Harley Quinn and Gotham Girls. The Jester jumpsuit is iconic. However, Harley is far too fashionable to follow the cartoon principle of only having one outfit. So it looks like 2011 is when they changed her over and I don't uh, 2011 saw the birth of Batman Arkham video game series. Uh-huh. Uh, Harley underwent a design change that naturally carried over into the comics. So yeah, it looks like Arkham, the Arkham games are what was the catalyst for the change. Yes. All right. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting though, because if you looked at a pie graph of what most people who know who Harley is out of comics <clears throat> on the entire planet, it's gotta be like 80% of people know her from the video games and the movies. And sure. Don't read comics. Sure. You know, um, and, uh, you know, in, in defense of my, I mean, a lot of people come up to me and they say, like, you know, thanks for fixing Harley, which, you know, I mean, like my friend Jimmy and Amanda wrote uh, and did a ton of work on Harley oh, yeah. being used on the movies. And uh, their take was always, let's do Harley, but it's like Looney Tunes. Um, yeah, yeah. In a, 
they did exactly what they set out to do, and I think it was really successful in its own right. But it's not, you know, it's not the Bruce Tim Harley Quinn at all. <laughs> it's not my Harley either. But I just get really annoyed when people um, attack that and they call it silly. And I'm like, well, it was supposed to be. Like, that's what they were going for. You can say that it's not for you, but you can't say it was bad or dumb or whatever. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, much like Batman, there's very, very many versions of Batman that yeah. <laughs> some of them don't work for everybody. You know, not all of them work for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's a, there's I mean, it's funny how there's there's been a lot of different versions of a lot of those different characters, but a lot of the villains tend to stay the same generally. Well, unless they change who they are. But like Joker, Joker kind of gets more or less intense, but he kind of stays yeah. more or less the same. Yeah. Uh until you make a movie out of him and then it's something else and people lose their minds, I guess. But <laughs> Oh, man. You saw the Joker movie, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, who was it on our text thread who hadn't seen it yet? And I was like, what's the matter? Uh, I don't, I don't Anybody remember. Anybody who, I know people who haven't seen it because they got fooled by this idea that it's actually celebrating Trump supporters or something like that. I, I think it was more that it uh, people were worried that it was um, making a disaffected, violent white guy yes. the hero of a movie. Yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of saying the same thing in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see that at all, but I, I respect people who choose to see to feel that way. But what bothers me is people that just assume that that's what it is and boycott it without ever seeing it for themselves. You know? Oh, sure. Yeah. No, that's always been a problem. Is yeah, people who don't watch the thing that they're critical of, and it turns out <laughs> the thing they're critical of is not actually in there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or at least if it is, I mean, if if you do watch it and you do come away thinking that, then okay, you can have a conversation. Sure. But uh, yeah. you know, if you're if you're basing your um assumption off of something you actually haven't read or watched or whatever then i feel like you're kind of yeah uh yeah you're having a b- bad a faith argument. of our mutual friends do that on a regular basis she won't see anything she won't give disney any money at all because they're really unfair to creators but and she, she won't have a disney plus account but somehow she's seen the star wars movies so she's there's no way to avoid disney at this point sure everybody i'm sorry even sure. if you don't like disney you know, and I, I definitely am against big corporate evil Disney in a lot of ways, too. But let's just get real here. You know, like, they own Star Wars. We're going to see Star Wars. They own Avengers. We're going to see St- Avengers. Like, I don't know. It just seems very junior high to be like, I don't like Disney, so I'm going to boycott them. They're not allowed in our house. Yeah. Um, I mean, if <laughs> if you want to be, if you want to go uh, full full in on that, then... Go for it. I mean, if you want to stick to yeah. your principles all all uh, all the way through, <laughs> sure. Um, but like, I, I listened to. I used to listen to a podcast that was uh, um, a wrestling podcast, and one of the hosts decided after after the big uh, th- WWE has been doing shows in Saudi Arabia, which a lot of people haven't really been thrilled with, myself included. Um, but mm-hmm. the one of the uh, especially after um, Jamal Khashoggi and everything that mm-hmm. happened with that, one of the hosts of this podcast decided they weren't going to watch the product anymore. Mm-hmm. But they were going to stay on the podcast and just pirate it for like the, oh, the big yeah. events. And if, if they didn't do that, <laughs> they were just going to have somebody tell them what happened. And I was like, eh, come on. <laughs> you know? yeah. If you're going to boycott yeah. it, fine. Just go yeah. all the way with it, you know? I, I know you're doing a podcast, but that's kind of unfortunately yeah. what happens when you do this stuff. I'm not yeah. saying don't boycott it if that's how you feel. If that's how you feel, do yeah. it. But, yeah. you know. Yeah. No, my, uh, I love fucking with my super liberal friends who uh, 
hate Trump in every single way possible, refuse to give money to anybody or support anyone who likes Trump in any way at all. And most of these people live in big cities where they're sort of in their bubble. Uh, and I'm a liberal too, so I get the, uh, you know, that gut reaction. However, uh, the minute you eat food, you are supporting Trump supporters because most farmers who grow your fucking food all over the Midwest, all over those flyover states that you like to make fun of, those guys probably like Trump. Mm-hmm. So there really is no escaping. <laughs> I mean, do what you want. At the end of the day, though, you look at the big picture. I'm sorry. You know, if you want to really you know, avoid Trump voters, stop eating food completely. Well, I think, it, I think it goes the other way, too, because there's plenty of people who rage against the liberal machine or, or Absolutely. rage against yeah. Amazon or whatever or Facebook. And it's like, well, you're posting yeah. your rage on Facebook. So it's yeah. Or it's like, oh, we well, cannot... you how do, how are you telling me this over the phone that you bought from Apple? You know, it's like you can't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. We cannot escape each other is what I'm saying. Sure, and, uh, sure. I, I get the, you know, the, the hatred on both sides. I absolutely do. But give me, I mean, some of the arguments just get a little silly sometimes. Yeah. And people haven't really thought it through, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I, these, the thing, I'm actually kind of surprised that they played this episode, frankly, because because of how dark it gets. Like, this is, again, this is a kid's TV show, and Joker is very much actively abusive to Harley in a very real way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really doesn't end with any sort of catharsis. And like, I can, I can see the, like, <laughs> not yeah. that I want to re- reduce domestic, uh, abuse to a GI Joe episode here, but like, <clears throat> you know how, remember how in GI Joe they could shoot the planes as long as you showed people with ha- parachutes afterwards showing they didn't get uh-huh. hurt. Like yeah. there's a, there's none of that in here. It's actually very, kind of yeah. uh real to a certain extent yeah. even down to the yeah. fact that harley doesn't escape at the end she's just hooked back yeah. in very easily which is yeah. un- unfortunately all too real for a lot of people and yeah. so i'm i'm kind of surprised that they didn't have to tone this down a bit yeah i'm not saying it's they should funny. have i'm not saying they should have but i'm surprised right. that they they weren't told to yeah i, I wonder if uh they were going to remake this kind of an episode today if they would be allowed to do this again, you know? Yeah, honestly, I don't think they can with, with, with Harley, the way that she is now, I I don't think this ends the same way. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. Cause she is a, yeah. very much a different character now, but well, like, what I mean is like with the new sensors in the age of uh, wokeness, and I, I mean that in a good, good way mm-hmm. in the age of wokeness, would this get nixed just off the bat? Or were they getting away with something in the nineties that, that they just can't do anymore? You know? Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on how you feel about what this uh, yeah. episode is showing, you know, because yeah. uh, the fact that like, yeah, maybe I don't know. I don't I don't I, I don't know if you do get away generally ever without showing some sort of catharsis on on Harley Quinn's end or, or the Joker yeah. really getting his yeah. comeuppance i i don't know i mean i like i i don't think they i don't think they would do this episode on that hbo harley quinn show because like the first the first episode of that show is basically like her kicking the joker yeah. in the balls and like shoot him out yeah. of a cannon or something you know, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's funny the reason that this slipped through is because critics are looking to respond to kind of simple identifiable things that are problematic like blood or right you know, some kind of violence. Like, Batman cannot punch a girl. But Joker is evil, so he could punch a girl. And 
so if you look at this in uh, a microscope, if you look at this moment to moment, a critic wouldn't go, or a, a censor wouldn't go, you need to change this. Because in order to change what's, what's harsh about this episode, you have to be paying attention to the whole story on many different levels. And the fact that at the end, she goes through this traumatic abuse and then decides that she still likes him and basically goes back for more. That's beyond the radar of most critics. They're looking for easy-to-catch stuff. They're not looking to really sit down with the script and decide what the deeper meaning really is for this character over the next, you know, long arc in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I was, I was thinking something similar where it's like I, I almost don't think I, I almost think it slipped by because yeah, they, they weren't looking for that yeah. stuff because that is harder to quantify. Exactly. Yeah, you know, harder to quantify. That's the phrase I kept trying to think of. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, if you want to be really cynical. Maybe it was that this stuff wasn't as big of a deal in back then. And that, I know that, <laughs> that sounds too, yeah. that's a, that sounds terrible. It's not what I don't mean it. You know what I mean? I know. Like what you like mean. Yeah, as yeah. far as stuff that got gets censored and whatnot. Oh, Joker yeah. slapping around Harley Quinn. Just don't show it, yeah, and I'm yeah. sure it's fine. Whereas now it's like, oh, this is kind of a heavy yeah. topic we're dealing with here. Maybe we should put a little bit more <laughs> yeah. thought into this. Usually, I'm the one pushing the lines of what's. What's politically incorrect not to say? <laughs> it's nice to be sort of on the sideline this time. Quite. Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, there was this video game called Night Trap. Have you ever heard of it? Oh yes, yes, I know that game. Yeah. So uh, talk about uh, uh, edit, edit, miss failing to edit the game properly is uh, for those of you who don't know, the notorious game called Night Trap was released in the '90s, and the idea was that you are this, uh, some, you're controlling all of these cameras inside of a house, and these teenagers and these girls are having a party and there's this guy trying to break in and hurt them and you have to use like trap doors and different things to stop these guys from harming these girls so i mean the game quickly devolves into like you can accuse it of rape fantasy and violence against women and voyeurism i mean it already has a bunch of problems right off the bat Mm -hmm. right um and then the critics came uh, sorry the owners of the who own the license were like oh Guys with uh, knives and guns coming in is too violent. So the for developers said, well, let's make it these weird monsters that like uh, hurt them in some other way. And rather than using guns and knives, they came up with this thing that wraps around their neck and sucks the life out of them. Mm. And like as the pr- approval process kept unfolding, the license holders were like, I guess that's okay. Yeah, technically that's not a gun. I guess it's fine. And they kept like looking at this in a very small way and sort of missing the grand picture of what this game was actually turning into. (laughs) It being such a hugely disturbing game. It was one of the games that popped up when, uh, I don't know, Congress was meeting about video game violence and they brought up Night Trap uh, over and over and over again. And even though the game hadn't done that well, it suddenly became very popular for (laughs) how much Congress was uh, using it as an example of, you know, that and Mortal Kombat basically. Yeah. That was the one where the, uh, the, the intruders ended up turning into like, uh, the the eventual thing they end up doing were like these weird like trash bag monsters or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They look they look awful. They're dumb. They are. You could have just done zombies and it would have been better. But for some reason, as the changes, the changes kept being made to avoid controversy and decision by decision. You can see why. Okay, I guess why they could see why that was a good idea at the time. But when you look back at you know six months of these decisions and you look at the end product you're like guys somehow this went way off the rails like we had the best of intentions but we basically have a rape fantasy game where girls are being uh attacked with like soul sucking uh 
<laughs> I, I don't even know how to describe it. I'm probably getting the details of the game wrong. So go on YouTube. Like it's very easy to find a quick 15 minute documentary on what went wrong with this game. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I've, I've mentioned before on other shows. I think that uh, the thing I find so funny about the Mortal Kombat hysteria when that came out is that. Mortal Kombat in in the 21st century has finally become the game all of our parents thought it was in 1992. <laughs> I know. And by now, all the kids that loved it are parents themselves. And they're right. like, this yeah. is great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the problem? So in a way, Congress was right. Yeah, maybe they, they were right. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Uh, what, would you, what would you want to draw from this? Uh, oh man, I hadn't even thought about it. What, what's what's yours? I I don't know either. I this was a tough one for me because it's not it's not a super dynamic episode. Like the storytelling's really good, but there's not a ton of dynamic mm. stuff. I'm I'm gonna say it would be interesting to to draw the therapy sessions with Harley and Joker. Yeah, to see how you could. Um, yeah portray that visually in a manner that was uh uh more than just a couple of talking heads on a couch and in a chair you know yeah i uh i had a flashback in white knight where i got to draw that scene that shot it was a quick just uh history of how they ended up and i basically drew that um that moment in a panel so you know harley's in a chair with her legs crossed with a stack of books next to her taking notes and joker sort of laying on his prison bed sort of looking up and like i remember the time dad took me to the circus or whatever um and one of my regrets is uh, i meant to label one of the books as bonnie and clyde oh because that's what joker are sure and i had her like sort of an easter egg of like oh her brain's already escaping down this road of like this like romanticized criminal couple you know you can see where where the storytelling is sure but yeah i forgot so whenever i see that panel now i look at a blank book spine and i'm like (laughs) ah (laughs) so maybe for a new edition i can stick that back in there (laughs) yeah yeah when they do the absolute edition the the only thing that you've changed is you've gone in and put that put that on the spine there (laughs) yeah yeah that's little things you know (laughs) yeah you know as far as comics go i actually really really liked um uh i can't i can't I'm not even going to try to pronounce the guy's name. It was Stefan, Stefan something that begins with an S. Uh, Stajic. Yeah, yeah, sure. Apologies. Uh, he did a four-issue black label series called Harleen, which is all about yeah. Harley going from Harleen Quinzel into Harley Quinn. And I thought it was really yeah. great. I really liked it. it. Yeah, it really was. His art is yeah, amazing. No, that, that, yeah. And the story. And he's Europeans. He was allowed to draw a lot of TNA uh, sexy art and not get attacked for it, which I'm sort of jealous of Europeans because they're like, oh, we're not perverts. We're French. Everyone in America is like, oh, okay. Yeah. Axe is down. Well, he also has. I do it. Well, he also has like that's he has a history of that. Like he's got like a long running. I think it's a web comic that's about like a same sex BDSM relationship that people really, really like. And that's, you know, kind of his brand. Um, I know, man, but I and I admire. You the, can make it your brand uh, if you want. If you want to go that way, yeah, you go for it. <laughs> I drew Wonder Woman once in a commission, and I even tried to draw her with like broad shoulders and standing there and kind of owning it and being empowered. Mm-hmm. And actually made her 
gave her hot pants, which actually cover her ass more than the G-string bikini from Baywatch that a lot of artists gave her. And I still got fucking attacked. <laughs> so I stopped trying to draw TNA because I'm just tired of these trolls coming after me. Mm. But uh, Steven Sajic, whatever, gets to do it all the time and everybody pats him on the back. Well, that's what I'm saying. You just got to do it more. Just got to own it. That's all. I should just say I'm European. That works too. Yeah. Anyway. I have used that as a weird shield. I, I, I Whenever I do post something that's slightly TNA, and I, I feel I hate that I have to do this. or <laughs> I hate that I feel like I have to do this. Uh, I'm just so tired of woke people coming after me. Uh, I'll post it and go, I love drawing stuff like this. I read a lot of European comics, so nudity isn't a big deal over there. Mm-hmm. So that's why I drew this. And normally the axes go away. Whereas if I don't say... I like European comics. Nudity is a different deal over there. I feel like people would be coming after me more. I almost guarantee they would. There's something about saying I was inspired by European comics. They can't come after you because then they would be attacking another culture. Yeah, it's, you know what I mean? European comics are classy <laughs> as shit, man. <laughs> I know. Ask Manara. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is so stage it gets away with it. But when Manara draws a Spider Woman cover and everyone starts blasting him for it mm-hmm. because her. And anatomically, her ass crack wouldn't be that, whatever the criticism is of that cover. Yeah. I mean, he has a whole history drawing that stuff, too, but he didn't escape. Right. I think so. I think the problem there is it's not his fault. It's the publisher's fault, because the issue that I remember anyway is that yeah. it was they got a artist who's known for erotic comics to do a cover of Spider-Woman, which is very much not representative of the book, I believe. I believe it was not, it's not that kind of book in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And so it's not for the right audience. And mm-hmm. I I am a big believer of don't blame the artist, blame the person who published it. Because yeah. they had to make yeah. the decision. Same with that that cover that um, Raphael Albuquerque did, that um, Batgirl yeah. cover. Yeah not the right book for that very much not so and yeah i i think you can draw whatever you want but it's up to the publisher to know what is appropriate or isn't appropriate for the product they're putting out and i think in both of those situations it was just it was a misfire on the publisher's side yeah i was with my editor mark doyle when that news hit we were out at a steakhouse in manhattan uh, this is my editor of White Knight, but this was years before he uh, approved White Knight. Mm-hmm. I was still working under Scott's book at that time. He and I are about to cut into our stakes, and suddenly his phone goes off, and everyone is attacking Albuquerque for turning uh, an empowered Batwoman, or sorry, Batgirl, into Joker's rape victim or something like that. Sure. And he, he <laughs> to be there live to watch him go through the, like the phases of disbelief mm-hmm. and like what do i do what do i do and he is literally the guy that approved the sketch um <laughs> yeah <laughs> no wait no wait i'm sorry i'm sorry he was not the guy that approved that sketch he was overseeing the group but someone else approved it and not him and i don't think he personally had a problem with the cover because mm-hmm. it was supposed to be an homage but he was mad that someone under him had approved it and it had escaped his attention because he could absolutely see why people were going to flip out when they saw that. Sure. And he showed it to me, and, you know, I don't read a lot of comics, so I was like, I don't get it, whatever. It's, I like Raphael's stuff. And he was sort of quickly explaining why it's a problem. And I was like, really? And sure enough, when I went online the next day, I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. But I was literally with him when that unfolded, and I got to see, like, 
yeah, I feel so bad for Albuquerque. He ended up getting attacked, and he was like the sweetest, nicest, one of the nicest artists in comics. He's such a gentle, nice guy, yeah, and like yeah. for people to just pound on him like that is like, oh my god, blame the editor, people, right? Which is what yeah. Mark Doyle did, yeah. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> blame the editor, who's he's that editor's boss, but just blame that guy anyway. I know. <clears throat> yep. Hey, shit floats upstream yeah, sometimes. I guess you know? so. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, what do you want to rate this one? Uh, five out of five. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna go five as well. Uh, like I said, I, I wish, I wish there was a little bit more of a gradual turn for Harley. Um, but aside mm-hmm. from that, I think it's a really small nitpick that I think in, this is one of the yeah. more intellectually interesting episodes that they've done and yeah. they do a lot of really great character work in, in 30 minutes here. So I think it's, it's, it's definitely worth a five. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so nice. we're going to take a quick break and talk about chemistry. I don't know for like 10 minutes. Cause we've also got <laughs> almost gone an hour talking about mad love. So we'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Okay. I give it a month. You don't think the marriage will last? Not that. I'm saying he'll have the costume on again in a month. I don't think so. He's changed. Yeah, right. Anyone can change and settle down. Even you. Don't get your hopes up. (laughs) As if. All right. Chemistry. Written by Stan Berkowitz. Directed by Butch Lucic. Lucic? I don't know. I'll have to to ask him or somebody who knows him. Butch Lickett. Is how he likes to be. Uh, is what it? He likes to be called. Is it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and in this one, Bruce Wayne, along with other wealthy denizens of Gotham, fall in love with their ideal mate, who all happen to have green eyes. Bruce decides to marry and gives up being Batman forever. Really, kind of burying the lead on that that one, <laughs> or, or maybe not putting the lead in at all, actually. But uh, yeah, I don't remember this episode. Uh, but I thought this episode was great. I really, really liked this episode. <laughs> it goes real fast. It does. It's incredibly <laughs> fast, but the story that I, you know, I think the reason that I liked it so much is I think yeah. I was, I think I was writing a longer story in my head as I was watching it. Yeah. And I, cause I found myself thinking, I was like, man, if this is how you're going to marry off Bruce Wayne, I feel like this is the way you do it. Because this yeah. is really interesting. It gives you, uh, it lets him find someone who, I think it's it's more interesting if Batman finds someone who isn't a super villain or superhero mm. to hook up yeah. with. Because then you kind of really have this idea of like, well, is he going to give up what he does? Does it have to yeah. become now a secret that he has between he and his wife? Is he going to tell her and then can try to keep doing it? Like, what's that right. dynamic there? I find that more yeah. interesting than like, what if Batman? Making out with Catwoman. Yeah, what if group. Batman yeah. and Catwoman got married? It's like, okay. Yeah. Cool, I guess. But yeah, I agree with you on every point. Absolutely. The, um, the only thing that I kind of wish they did a little bit differently is I wish that his wife hadn't been a, a monster. I wish she had just been normal. Be- you mean uh, her character, like her personality? No, no, I mean literally like literally. I, w- I wish that she hadn't been one of Poison Ivy's monsters because I, f- yeah. I feel like that would almost be even more devastating if yeah. he goes through all of this stuff, he, makes, he, f- he assumes that his wife is in on this because everybody else is wife, <laughs> and then it turns out, no, he actually did just fall in love with this woman but he can't let himself do that. So like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing where he oh, creates right. his own yeah. divide kind of, I think that would have yeah. been obviously that's probably too much to do in this episode. Cause this is another one where like, 
as soon as the monster's dead, they roll the credits. Like, there is no oh, hangover in yeah. this. It's just <laughs> over. Ending. He's like, you, why do you all have green eyes? He figures out she's a monster. Like, she, she, her, she, her feet turn into plants and she starts choking him. Yep. So, you know, love and relationship over. Yep. Uh, he, Robin comes around with, like, a pesticide gun and melts everybody. Um, <laughs> the boat starts to sink. Uh uh, Bruce looks at his wife uh, through a porthole as she's melting, and as the boat sinks, and she's drowning. He sort of tried to kind of save her five seconds previously, but he no, 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 hand by inches. No, that was poison ivy. That wasn't even his wife because oh, 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 oh. he locks okay, his okay. wife into the cabin and then just okay. leaves. Okay, <laughs> I thought that was his wife. He's trying to save. Nope. So he says, "All right, well, I guess this relationship's over." He's <laughs> he's getting making his way onto the bat uh, plane and he has the wedding ring in his fan and he just like flicks it in the ocean yep. and just life goes on. Yeah. <laughs> like the way he so quickly gets up. Like that's what I want to draw is Batman trying to save poison Ivy, seeing his wife die and drown. She looks really sad. as She goes under the ocean. He takes out the ring, flips it in the ocean, roll credits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's that easy for him to go back to being miserable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, <laughs> when you when you get your heart broken, it sometimes makes you even colder than you were before. You know, I guess. Um, I uh, do you know who did the voice of his wife? Yeah, Linda Linda Hamilton. Yeah, kind of. I that's I didn't know that till today. That was an, I didn't I didn't know until I saw the credits. But again, also kind of a waste of Linda Hamilton. I think she doesn't really get a lot to do here. I think there would have been yeah. if there had been a little bit it's, more time to this and and to flesh out yeah. the story. I think it would have been more interesting. Do you think that there was a T2 reference um, when, um, who's the redhead who gets married first? Oh, Veronica Vreeland? Yeah. When Veronica's husband turns on her, she locks herself into a panic room with laser beams across the door, and her evil husband jams his face through, almost like the T-1000. Oh, yes. Do you think that was on purpose? I don't know. Uh, If he had gotten his hand caught as he was walking through because he was holding (laughs) a gun, maybe, but I I don't know. But it's possible. (laughs) Yeah, also, I don't know why being made out of plants walking through a high-powered laser would have no effect on you. <laughs> I feel like that would yeah. be, that would be pretty damaging to your structure to have yeah. seven seven lasers just cut you into five, into eight pieces. Yeah, yeah, that's a good job in the quick math there, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not right? If, um, they, if you had seven lasers, it would cut you into eight pieces, yeah, that, right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I feel like if you're a plant, you can reform around the, the laser immediately, and that that's what we're seeing there. That's that true. Yeah. I mean, I'll give him a pass, obviously. But yeah, uh, <laughs> it is pretty eerie at that moment because yeah. you're not sure what the hell. He just think he's beating the shit out of her because he, he's a douchebag, yeah. and then you realize he's made of plants. You know, a lot of uh, man. I don't know what was going on in the in the lives of the writers at this point, but there's a lot of domestic abuse happening in both of these episodes. Uh, yeah. You get like, you you get a scene that's like the scene in The Godfather where, uh, what the hell is her name? Uh, Adrian Balboa, whose name is Talia Shire, is getting yeah. uh, beaten up by her new new husband, and then yeah. she's got to call Sonny, Sonny yeah. to come out. No, Sonny's her brother. She uh, she has oh, to call yeah, Sonny yeah, yeah. to come over and beat the guy up. But like it's yeah. it's it's fairly intense. Like they're they're tackling some dark stuff on this show, which is. Mm-hmm. I I wonder if I do wonder if they get away with some of the stuff because the show is so pulpy that mm-hmm. and that stuff is so ubiquitous with with old pulp novels that there's a little bit of like all right well it's it's not serious it's just kind of like a pulpy you know it's mm-hmm. pulpy 
domestic abuse. It's not real. Yeah, like oh, every now and then you got to smack her around. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, it's a cartoon, so it's like a they've got the edges shaved off of that a bit. So I don't know, maybe <laughs> who knows? No, um, it's funny. Uh, the right when writers write rich people having parties, they definitely lean into the stereotypes. And uh, I'm curious if really wealthy billionaires actually act that way at a party. Um, like at one point, one guy's like, "Yeah, I I pinch every penny, but she, she's worse than I am." <laughs> and the other one's like, "Oh, she 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 fucking stays out of my affairs and just makes me lunch every day, well, makes me dinner every <laughs> night. That's what I want." Something along those lines. Like she knows how to act like a little woman. I think is his implication. Yeah. And I love um, <laughs> the caricatures of super rich people that writers lean into sometimes. So I don't think that they've ever actually been to those parties. We just assume that that's what rich people probably do on their yachts. Well, you know? I mean, on the other hand, they do apparently, they do make it clear that in Gotham City, it's apparently very difficult for the super rich to find love because that entire yeah. cruise is filled with super rich people who just got married. <laughs> so yeah. there's at least like <clears throat> 10 to 15 super wealthy yeah. people in Gotham City who were single. Yeah who got taken by Poison Ivy's plot and now uh, all decided yeah. to. I mean, it's a good plan. I'm trying to decide if if it's funnier or makes more sense that yeah. these guys are like, we should save a couple bucks by all going on honeymoon together. So we'll yeah. take we'll take one boat. <laughs> like Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Uh, proposes to 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 his wife on the back of this gigantic yacht mm, why is yeah. he going on a cruise with eight other couples <laughs> so i actually have an answer for that okay a real answer um a friend of mine works for carnival cruise line mm-hmm. and he uh is very wealthy uh loves comics and um that's why we're friends is he likes comics and i like money um and uh he's he gets free passes to go on these special cruises so carnival is also, also owns these like really wealthy smaller cruises that only the super elite take uh-huh. um it's thirty five thousand dollars per ticket for a week Holy on one shit. of these cruises wow there are two submarines on the boat they are leisure submarines so inside each sub you're looking out these domes and you're sitting in like a leather back lounge chair drinking 40 year old scotch like a bond villain <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, like something out of life aquatic <laughs> okay um and um i'm going on one of these pretty soon oh really yeah oh so i, I get it okay I- okay so all of this i don't really know if that's how rich people act is well, i'm gonna tell you uh-huh. i'm doing research yeah everybody. of course well i mean I'm apparently gonna- <laughs> it sounds like the writers do know because they knew that these secret wealthy person cruises exist so <laughs> they literally have fun villain <laughs> submarines <laughs> Uh, what I was getting at was I'm actually going to be going on one of these for free just as a guest. Um, my wife Are you going to bring your car with wife. you and just leave it on the deck? <laughs> there is a helicopter pad on the boat. <laughs> of course Whenever you is. want to get of off, you can. Is, yeah. Why would there be two submarines and not a helicopter It's for those pad, rich, right? rich people that don't like to poop in public. They take the helicopter <laughs> back to their house. So I'm going to be taking a lot of notes in my eyes because I asked my friend a lot of questions like, <laughs> What am I like? Are all the rumors true? Do these people just act like Bond villains? Is it really like the, you know the first class of the Titanic or whatever? What are these people really like? Because when you're talking, everyone on the cruise is literally a millionaire or billionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm for the for once. I'm going to be the poorest person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> I'm just going to let that sink in because I knew that was going to get clay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so uh, I go, what are these people like? And he goes, man, some of the sometimes they are uh, exactly like you would expect. I've been on these cruises, and one guy was uh, holding court talking about how uh, one of his um, – business managers is a colored woman and he's so proud of himself for finally hiring a colored woman oh his words not mine oh boy at one of his companies and everyone at the table like was literally clapping and nobody pushed back and said hey maybe don't call them that anymore um they're all generally republicans as you would expect but you know how republicans get people to vote for things that are against their interest yeah they pay for it you know who makes money from that the people on this yacht ah, basically let's see so they're like toasting in their cigar rooms to their conquest of the universe. You've got oil tycoons and, you know, uh, Wall Street people and like that's who's on these things. So in some ways, from what I'm told, and I'll be there to uh, I'll report back <laughs> next time we do a podcast. I'll let everybody awesome. know how it was. Yeah. Um, and uh, but one thing that uh, they don't all wear uh, three piece suits all the time. They're very much wearing whatever the fuck they want to because they're billionaires and who the hell is going to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but I asked my friend, like, why, if you're a billionaire, that's already yacht money. Like, you have your own yacht. Why the hell are you getting onto a yacht with a bunch of other people? And, you know, and he goes, well, it's honestly pretty lonely when you're that far up. And they see it as like a networking opportunity to grow their businesses. And, you know, there's politicians that go and senators. So there's like money and deals that happen. Plus, the whole thing could be seen as a write off when you're at that level. And I'm just like, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, they weren't going to let me on the boat, and my uh, friend's boss was like, well, you know, if you're getting two free tickets, that's $70,000. Who exactly are you bringing with you? And he goes, oh, my friend Sean and his wife. And they're like, what does he do? And he goes, well, he draws Batman. And the guy was like, oh, that's fine. That's way more interesting than what most of these people do. So, yeah, you can totally bring your Batman friend. I can't wait. I can't wait to see the uh, closet quarters you'll be in on the in eighth class. I'm going to be taking pictures, so follow my Instagram. Um, I'm not there to, <laughs> I guess I will be shaming these people, but hey, maybe I can get some kind of a white knight, uh, you know, I don't know, somehow grow my business using these oil tycoon yeah, connections sure. in some way. Yeah, but. definitely, definitely have, <laughs> keep thinking that. If they, uh, if yeah. they have something one night that's called the grand shunting, I would not go to that. <laughs> And if you want to know why, listen to the yeah. Rotten Horror Picture Show episode on society that we put out a couple months yeah. ago. But I'm curious, like, are there going to be any black people in this cruise? Or, or even rich black people are probably smart enough not to want to go to this bullshit, right? If that's the kind of conversation these people usually have. Like, I wouldn't blame black people for wanting to partake in that. You know, it's creepy. Yeah. So I'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But I'll definitely report back and I'll be taking pictures and posting it in the next few months. Yeah, hopefully... Nobody's significant other turns out to be a giant plant monster. <laughs> you know, when I do complain about the things that I usually give me shit for, when I'm like, man, I have a hundred thousand dollar dots and it doesn't even start, finally everyone's gonna be like, dude, that really sucks. Like, that's a lot of money. And you know what? I have a mechanic that can actually fly to you in a helicopter and fix it for you. <laughs> finally, people are gonna understand my yeah. latest problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's really great. With my luck, the guy that flies me in the helicopter is going to be like, you know, I'll, I'll fly you around. But first I need to tell you the problem with colored people. And I'll be like, oh, Jesus Christ. Do I have to jump out now? Like, how does this work? I'm like, sure. I wanted to be on the cruise with you people. I'm not one of you, though, you know? Yeah, I'm sure it'll be a lot of like, yeah, I can give you a tour. I actually I have this Batman story I want to pitch you, actually, while, we, while you have nowhere to go stuck in a submarine with me. <laughs> my goal is to, when they're like... 
what do you do for a living? I'm going to say, I, I, I write and draw Batman. And they're going to be like, well, what's, what do you write? And I go, well, I have a story about how the 1% elites are actually controlling um, Gotham. And uh, every time the Batman damages a neighborhood, they swoop in, buy damaged real estate, and flip it at a profit. And these people are going to be like, oh, so it's a documentary. That's, that's genius. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah that's, uh, so what? These people are the good guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to say, oh, Batman. Oh, the one where the billionaire's the good guy. I love that book. Right. They'll be like, you know what? That sounds good, but what they forgot to do was buy insurance as well, because that would mean that's what I did when I swooped in yep. and took advantage of these poor neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I take yeah. notes. I guess it'll be good for for volume three or four. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. I appreciate you uh, hearing me out because I know there's a lot of ways that you could have responded <laughs> to that story, Clay, and I think you were pretty adult about it. Yeah. Oh, I think so too. I'm going to let the the viewers, the <laughs> listeners, decide on that one. <laughs> Um, yeah. All right. So I, you know, yeah. I really like this episode. I, it kind of hits a lot of points for me. Like I, I really like the story. Uh, it also gets really weird and gross at the end where they start melting all of those like plant people. Yeah. It's the guy's face melted and his eyeballs. Separated yeah. Into a and pool and, of and blood. even before that, when uh, Batgirl and Robin are tracking him down and Ivy just grabs him by the top of the hair and just pulls his skin off. <laughs> <laughs> revealing oh the, God, the, yeah. the 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 green yeah. guy underneath it's a weird episode i this is it's so violent man yeah. this is like the night stalker the night uh whatever that video game i was talking about they're like oh you can have that gratuitous violence even though they're hominoid humanoid shaped um uh, they're technically plants so yeah do whatever the fuck you yeah, want <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> it's still horrific though yeah you know? it is it's it's uh it's very creepy, very weird. Um, I'm a big fan. I think this is probably one of... I think this is my second favorite Ivy episode behind the one where mm. she manufactures the family in a similar manner. Yeah. Um, that being said, it's nice that she went back to that plan. It seems like her technology is getting a little better, but maybe hasn't quite figured out all the kinks yet. She's still her green yeah. guys still eventually turn back into green and like explode and stuff. So she's got a if, little bit more if, work to do. Yeah. If the eye if the pupil color wasn't green, Bruce might not have figured it out. Yeah, it's uh, possible. Because that's what tipped him off. If she had just had these people wear sunglasses or keep their eyes closed whatever, you yeah. know, like <laughs> <laughs> just keep your eyes closed all the time. You know, like humans do. <laughs> so yeah. You could see you, you heard me try to stop that sentence, but <laughs> too much of it got out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, what would you What would you want to draw in this one? Um, I would draw Batman trying to save his dying. Fi- or sorry, seeing his dying fiance get. Oh, that's right. You did say that. Look yes. in the ring. Yeah. Because yeah. you know you could do like a really long vertical panel with the long ladder he's hanging on to. So yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want to draw the scene where Batman uses his Batman skills to creepily spy on her while she's in her nightgown. <laughs> That's pretty good too. Yeah, good I will too. say honestly, if if uh, going back to that idea that we've talked about of of doing comic book adaptations mo- with modern artists and writers of of uh, animated series episodes, this yeah. is probably an is- an issue I would want to do. I think yeah. I think there's enough here for a really great story and enough not here that you can add mm-hmm. a bunch into it and 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 kind of flesh it out a bit more. And I think it would be a lot of fun to you draw. Know, that's I'm going to give this a three, and that's why. I think there's a ton of great ideas here that don't get addressed. The idea of Batman quitting Batman yep. and them not giving any pushback. Yeah, yeah. Like, I like when he's like, you know, yeah, I was gonna, you guys were all going to inherit this one day. 
And they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. I guess you're getting married now. No one says shit. I mean, Nightwing is like, I give it a month before he puts the costume back on. Right. But that's a whole episode in itself. I also wish we had more time to really appreciate his fiance. I mean, when Robin dated that girl, Annie, and we really, as an audience, got a chance to really sort of fall in love with her so that when she turned out to be not real, it was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And when this happened, I didn't feel anything. I wish this was a two-part episode yeah, that I think yeah. could be on the level of Heart of Ice or um, you know, the one where uh, Batgirl's having a uh, over the edge. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I want to see these ideas fleshed out more. To me, that would have been a five. But as it is, I'm going to go like a three or a four. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm also a little bit surprised that there is no pushback. Like there's no... I I feel like in a longer story, uh, Dick maybe tries to do a little snooping to find out who this woman is. Or like they're a little bit... That's great. ...distrusting of why he's doing this. And like that's that's kind of part of why if I did it, I would have her be human. Because mm-hmm. like I like the idea that it's a great twist. Yeah, yeah, that Dick is like trying to figure out what's wrong with this woman, but he can't figure anything out. But then they discover the poison ivy thing, and so they're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. what it must be. And so then ba- yeah. Batman gets back into it. But then it turns out she's no they, they, it, bad luck, sure. But it yeah. turns out that she is normal, and it was just this. She just happened to have green eyes or something. Yeah, yeah. And this this connection with Bruce yeah. was real. But he refuses to believe it, and Dick feels bad because yeah. he's like, "Oh shit, maybe I shouldn't have put this in his head." You know? Yeah, honestly, that would have made Linda Hamilton's character epic. Yeah, like, if we really got a chance to fall in love with her as an audience, and she even asks him, you know, or he he mentions like, "I had a thing for Catgirl, Catwoman, but uh, it never worked out. It's just makes more sense for me to be with someone that's not involved with this with this bullshit." You know? Yeah have that conversation and, and get to know like what her opinion, like when he realizes his friend is in trouble and he has to leave his own wedding to save her. And he tells Linda Hamilton's character, she's like, go, she's a friend of yours. It, I do. We get a little bit of sense, like why he likes her. Right, because right. She's, you know, you know what I mean? But I want more of that. And I feel like it's such a missed opportunity not to extend this into two episodes. Cause there's a lot of great ideas here. Yeah. You know, all the time, there's so many of these episodes in this series and so many other different forms of media that are based on comics. How come yeah. they can't go the other way? How come, could like, could we go to DC Comics and be like, hey, we want to pitch this Batman and Poison Ivy limited series that's kind of based on this episode? Like, I don't, I feel like mm-hmm. it never happens. Yeah. I mean, I base White Knight off of four episodes that you yeah, found well, un- pointed unofficially. out. Unofficially, I'm talking like, you know, this this is the base. <laughs> and in the beginning of the book, it's going to say, based on Batman the Animated Series episode, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like the way they do on these yeah, shows yeah. where it's like, it gives me a yeah. note in the uh, the Wikipedia thing saying what issue of Batman from the 70s it's based on. <laughs> it's true. I mean, they did a uh, a Phantom, Batman Mask of the Phantasm sequel is as a comic book. That's true. That I talked about before. Yeah. So it, they do do sequels based off some of this stuff from time to time, but it never really goes big, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm, and it's always within the same, like that book, that Phantasm book is is part of the animated series yeah. comic. Yeah, like, yeah, that's true. You know, I, I wonder if you could, honestly, I yeah. mean, at this point, we're 30 years out from the show, could yeah. probably just pitch this idea as it is and not even mention that it's based on the show and it would probably be they fine. They wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think DC editors would catch it. Yeah. Until it until it comes down to being published, and then we'd have to be like, oh, by the way, uh, we have to give credit to uh, Stan Berkowitz, who actually wrote the original story. Yeah. Sorry, guys. So there is a legal um, problem with 
uh, I wanted to have uh, the animated series quoted word for word in Curse. There was a line from Phantasm that I wanted to use word for word uh, that I wanted Alfred to say mm-hmm. that his character also said in, in Phantasm. And Legal said you can't do that. That's owned by Warner Brothers proper and we're DC. There's sort of this weird red tape. Like you just can't do that. You can have a nod to it, but it cannot be a one-to-one lift. Even if it's like an homage, even if you're um, drawing attention to like, you know, for more information on this, go see Mask of the Phantasm. They just can't do it. And that's within the same company. Oh, okay. Yeah. So probably, probably I wonder if there's some legal stuff going on there. Yeah. That's really interesting because it seems to be not a, not a problem for other things to adapt comics, but comics to reference other things seems to be an issue yeah i know it's weird like and i actually enjoy hearing these stories because there's weird things that lawyers will tell you sometimes that you never would have thought of that seem insane you know yeah well you know it's funny i uh one of the things that that we've talked about a little bit on on the rotten horror picture show on our patreon coverage of friday the 13th is this uh lawsuit that's been going on for five years which i think you might actually find kind of fascinating between Mm the person who wrote the screenplay for the original movie named Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham, who is the, the, was the producer of, of all of the original movies or at least the first couple. And then later on the Mm. later ones. And it's a termination of copyright suit over who owns the rights to the name and all this kind of stuff. And it just, uh, it just ended this past week or a week, week ago in in some change saying that Victor Miller wins he gets the copyright back but it's one of those things where it's he gets the copyright back to only the stuff from the first movie so he gets the name camp crystal lake uh the original child version of jason Voorhees, the mom all that kind of stuff but the jason Voorhees character that the world knows hockey hockey mask and all that other kind of stuff is still owned by sean cunningham so, like, mm. there's this weird middle ground, and they've been fighting over it because Cunningham wants the name Friday the 13th, and there's, you know, it's, it was one of those things where he cl- yeah. he's claiming that it was work for hire, and Victor Miller was saying, you know, I'm an independent contractor, yeah. and apparently they sided with Victor Miller. They, this, is, this one that just ended was actually the, an appeal, so it's been, he won once, and then Cunningham appealed it, and yeah. he's won a second time. Yeah. And uh, it has completely held up anything new friday the 13th related from like merchandise anything for the past like five years uh that's crazy man yeah it killed uh, there I was think... a video game that came out that was awesome a handful of years ago and it killed the development of the game after like six months because of man. this lawsuit yeah i have a feeling that's why we're not getting blade runner merchandise yeah is there some legal quagmire some so. cabal of people that own all the rights and it's just really vague on who who can do what legally yeah yeah it's <clears> always with a with Zorro, there's a lot of this stuff too. Um, yeah, you know, and I'll I can explain it some other time. But yeah. I'm researching all that right now, and it is it is interesting who owns what from which timeline. What's still Disney? What did Disney yeah, sell? Yeah, you know? yeah. I always yeah. find that stuff so fast. Like I think we've talked about before when uh, uh, yeah. Todd McFarlane got the rights to Miracle Man, the Alan Moore comic. It turned out he didn't get the rights to the character. All he had bought was a certain version of the logo, so he could use oh, he yeah. could use the character's costume. <laughs> he could use the character's costume, but he couldn't call him Miracle Man. And yeah. and, and then it took another like fifteen years or something to sort those 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 uh, uh, yeah. all that stuff out. Yeah, it's yeah. it's so interesting when it when you find out how all this stuff got shattered because. Uh, 
Like I, yeah. I, I had mentioned that Marvel Comics book, um, and they talk about a little bit about the rights distribution of Spider-Man, where mm. Canon had, if I remember correctly, uh, maybe it was New World. It was either Canon or New World. I think it was New World had the rights to Spider-Man. No, I'm sorry. Canon had the rights to Spider-Man. But then they ended up selling off different pieces of it to raise money to make the movie. So, like, they sold the uh, domestic distribution mm-hmm. to one company, the foreign distribution to another company, the merchandising to a mm-hmm. third company, blah, 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 blah. And then the movie never yeah. gets made. So then yeah. when the next person steps up to bat, now they've yeah. got all of this other shit that's already been pre-sold that they have to deal with. Yeah. And then yeah. eventually they had it in place where James Cameron was going to do it, but he refused to give the guy from Canon, a producer credit because he didn't do anything on the other than have the rights 15 years ago. And then that yeah. whole thing exploded. And that's why we never got a Spider-Man movie until like 2002. Yeah. And a lot of people think that a lot of those old contracts are from a time before. And Hollywood didn't know what these things would be worth. Right. Right. So they wrote a lot of weird contracts from the year 1920 to 1980. But now, Hollywood is figuring it out and things are going to get a lot cleaner from now on. Yeah. If you think that that's not true, right. the contracts are still being written in a confused way because that's the best way to try to fuck, fuck over your competition and have uh, grounds for a lawsuit later on. Right. This is yeah. not going to stop, you know, <laughs> but in any, if anything, it makes very uh, interesting uh, drama and storytelling with what goes on behind the scenes. Honestly, I think, you know, the Superman, uh, Nick Cage movie is a perfect example. That documentary is better than any Superman movie that would yes. have actually come yes. out from Tim Burton. Yeah. No question It made asked. me really sad they didn't make it because I was like, this movie seems bonkers. Yeah. But I think, I can't remember if it was <laughs> it's you. It's better in your head. Yeah, I can't remember it's if it was. better in your head that you know that. <laughs> I can't remember if it was you or somebody else mentions like, well, the version you would have seen by the time it got to the screen would have been so watered down and different. It's like, yeah, you're right. That first yeah. unadulterated craziness would never have yeah. made it to screen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny because there's, you know, very similar stories of this weird, fucked over Shakespearean betrayal that goes on within comic book companies. Some of the stories about books are way more interesting than the books themselves. Um, you know, the amount of backstabbing that goes on at Marvel is probably more entertaining than most of the books that you're reading from Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the uh, <clears throat> what I don't think happens as much anymore that seemed to happen all the time in the in the seventies and eighties is uh, yeah writers and artists writing in insults and jabs at all of their coworkers and editors and stuff. It doesn't seem to happen yeah. that much anymore, but it happened quite a bit back then. Yeah, you know, one thing I didn't uh, think to ask when we were talking about um, the comics code mm-hmm. from the last episode, and we don't have time to go and do it now, but is uh, why did EC close down? Why didn't they just say, fine, we're going to have an adult label on our book and we're going to sell even more because our comics will look like they're forbidden from children? Why did they shutter their doors? Um, I don't know specifically, but I think yeah. at the time, you, I don't think it would have worked because okay. in the, um, <coughs> excuse me, based on what I know about movie rating systems and how that worked in the 70s and 80s and stuff, if you didn't have a rating on your movie, you could not advertise it. Like, papers would not allow you to advertise your movie. You couldn't... Right. Nobody would take it, so it ultimately right. would die in the theater unless it was at some I sort see. of, like, uh, Grindhouse Theater or right. something. So, so there's significant pressure from distributors yes. that would make that not feasible. Yeah, yeah and, like, it. I'm sure the stores wouldn't have carried it and stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's true. I guess that wasn't that didn't take as long as I thought it would. And that's <laughs> I'm just I'm just speculating. That's probably why. If I had to take a guess, yeah. you know. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think I would actually. I think I'm going to give this a four. Yeah. Based on, I, it's I I think you're giving it a three based on potential, and I'm giving it a four based on potential. Because I did really enjoy it, and I do think there's more there. But I, it, this is an episode that I would yeah. say, yeah, you should watch this one. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I could be talked into a four. Honestly, that's not too far off. Yeah, you, it's a high right. three. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Is that it? Yeah, did we do everything. That's it. That's gonna do it for uh, this episode. These two yeah. episodes, uh, Mad Love and Chemistry. We've only got one episode left of Batman the Animated Series. This journey we started. Christ, like four years ago now. Uh, lo- longer. Lo- yeah, it was actually uh, longer because we started this in like 2015 we were in my old or house. something. Yeah. Yeah, we were doing this before uh, White Knight yeah. got approved. Yeah. We, I, oh, man, I wish I had a memory of whether or not we talked about the process of getting this out the first time because we didn't, we, re- we recorded the show over the course of a, like a year and a half before we actually started yeah. putting it out. Um, yeah. We very quickly changed and realized that was not the way to do it. So, yeah, that was, that was my bad. It's okay. We were t- <laughs> I said let's let's drop it all on Netflix at once and see what. happens. Yeah, we were just trying something out, see what would happen. Um, but uh, my my idea of what would you want to draw that ended up sticking, which I'm really yeah. Glad. No, I, I like that. That's I think a lot of people have, uh, like that as well. I like the the poll you put out. Uh, do you want to talk about that real quick? Yes. Or we'll save it to the next episode. Uh, well, yeah, what the hell? We're already at a... Let's do an even hour 30 here. Um, yeah, we can talk about that now, sure. Sure. So uh, I asked Clay to do a poll. For you listeners listening right now, what do you like more? Uh, are reviewing the actual episodes or the inside uh, talk, mm-hmm. like the shop talk, behind the scenes thing? And I'm guessing for most people, the answer is both. But we asked people online, which do you actually prefer more? And Clay, what were those results? Uh, the YouTube poll that Wes put up was, I think, almost 50-50. It was like 52-48 <laughs> or something in favor of Shop Talk, I think. How many votes was that? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I want to say it's actually, give me two seconds. Uh, I thought it was 300-something, maybe. I don't think it was that many, unfortunately. Okay. It was. I feel like people who listen have better things to do than follow us on social media, which actually makes me very happy. Uh, <laughs> I think that it's fine to. So it was uh, 30, <laughs> 33 votes. Not quite. Not quite the, the scale that you <laughs> <Whoops>. thought. <laughs> it was forty-eight uh, percent content, fifty-two percent behind-the-scenes working artist details, and then I put up yeah. a similar poll on Twitter. And it was uh, at one point it was split exactly fifty-fifty. Uh-huh. And the final was, I don't actually have the numbers here, but um, I know that it did end up skewing, I think like maybe 60, 40 in favor of behind the scenes stuff, but it was, yeah. it, okay. and that was, that was, I think maybe like 25, another 30 people or so. So I think it was, uh, yeah. it was a pretty even split, all things considered. You know, that's a... It's- large enough sample pool i think that you could say that uh even if it's if you even if you polled a thousand people it might be different by five points but that's it yeah so uh yeah so yeah i guess 50 50 for the most part maybe slightly leaning more towards uh inside scoop stuff um and i realized too and i might have said this before i feel much more comfortable in this podcast talking about behind the scenes stuff because people listening aren't out to get me uh if i translated some of the things i said 
on this podcast onto Twitter. Guaranteed bleeding cool article, sure. CBR, Newsarama. Guaranteed trolling on Twitter, people being outraged, things getting back to creators. And like, I don't think I really throw anybody um, under the bus just to be mean. Um, but I know that people would happily try to take me out of context. Yeah. Um, yeah. But saying it in a podcast that's 90 minutes long and they have to listen to a bunch of shit about some <laughs> Batman episode they don't remember, they're just less likely to have to fortitude to get through that just to find that one moment where they could crucify me. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's a lot um, It's a lot harder when you actually have to dig for the stuff. But I appreciate <laughs> no. you really tempting fate here by saying that so often because it's, it's bound to happen <sighs> soon enough. <laughs> I, I don't know why I have the need to want to push the line of like, what am I allowed to say? Fuck it, I'm going to say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what my, it is in my brain that makes me want to risk it. Well, you know, we're going to find out where the line is once you spill all the secrets <laughs> of the rich guy yacht, and then you have all the rich people in the world <laughs> wanting to kill you. So, Well, it's funny. So you and I are going to record the Marvel episode right now, and I'm going to talk about yeah, why I don't work for Marvel. <laughs> Haven't thrown anybody under the bus, but join us on Patreon where Sean talks about all the things he hates about Marvel comics. I'm going to try to make it a, a positive, conducive Spin. I'll talk a bit more about that when we start recording in a few minutes mm-hmm. about what I want to say and how I want to say it. I, I don't want to just trash talk. I really do want to try to be um, proactive here. Um, I think I have a way to handle it. But yeah, if you want to listen to that episode, it'll be out on um, through Patreon soon. I think it's going to be behind a paywall. So yeah, it's it's uh, the patreon.com slash the Penske file, which is our uh, our podcast network, if you want to call it that umbrella Patreon. I think it's only like I think the We'll probably put it under like the five dollar paywall, so it won't be won't be too bad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I need to thank people listening. Uh, I do say a lot of shit here, and most of it never gets out. So thank you all for keeping my secrets for the most part and keeping it out of the knitting circles. Like I guess people who listen are too busy doing real life things that they just can't be bothered to try to troll me or you know <laughs> any of that garbage. So yeah. I, I appreciate the trust. And I don't know, you know, I wouldn't. I don't know most of you, but I do feel like there is a sort of weird sense of trust that I have with this podcast because I've been saying a lot of shit for five years and generally it hasn't come back to bite me. (laughs) And I also appreciate that if you are going to do that to him, waiting until after my book comes out so it doesn't ever (laughs) reflect badly on me and hurt my sales. Of course. (laughs) I will do that. But uh, but anyway. So. Let's go record some Marvel shit talk, shall we? Sure. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back with our final episode. I'm a little bit disappointed that the order we did this in didn't end with Mad Love because I think that would have been a good way to go Me out. Me too. <clears throat> but uh, next yeah. next time we'll be back with Beware the Creeper and Judgment Day, which I'm very excited to talk about Judgment Day because it's one that's <laughs> always been stuck in my head. I don't even remember if it's any good, but for some reason it really stuck in there for, for some reason. It's the one that's like... Wasn't Two Face another personality at yes, some point? Yeah. It wasn't the Phantasm? Yep, it's the one I always th- <laughs> used to think was Phantasm. Yep. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.